some of the great prayers of the scriptures. And today we come to part three of the high priestly prayer, a prayer that Jesus prayed uh, to God the Father in God the Spirit for his bride, the church. And because we are talking about prayer, and I hope that you are doing a lot of praying these days, uh, I have been energized in my prayers as I've looked at some of these great prayers of the Scripture. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't bring a special prayer before the Lord this morning. Uh, one of our staff members, Sean Dean, who led us in the Confession of Sin, has a very important test this week. He'll be up before the Presbytery, which is a collection of churches in our area, for his ordination exams. And so, Sean, would you come up and could we pray for you? Now, I happen to know someone who is sitting in the front row who is a member of the youth group who is also my son. And so I would like, Jack, would you come up and pray for Sean? Bring your microphone so we can hear you. Uh, put your shoes on. I didn't tell him not to take his shoes off. <laughs> Wear your shoes in the ordination exam, okay? Jack, would you pray for Sean in his exam? Dear God, uh, we thank you so much for Sean Dean, and we thank you for the impact that he's had on this church and in the lives of all of the students in the youth group. We are truly blessed to have him here. We thank you for his faithful studying and his faithful learning and his desire to learn more about you, and we can see that um, testament in his studying for this ordination exam. Lord, I pray that you will give him the knowledge that he needs in order to um, take this test and do very well on it. And I pray that um, you will just give him all that he needs for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, son. Yeah, we love you, Sean. We're praying for you. So that's happening Tuesday, so get him on your prayer list and pray for him. Well, we have the privilege now of... Uh, having a listening ear as the Lord Jesus prays. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word, John 17. We'll be focusing this morning on part three of the high priestly prayer, verses 20 through 26. These are the words of Jesus that he prays for us, his disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be it with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is God's word. Let's go to him now 
in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for loving us with a perfect, unbroken, sacrificial love. We thank you, Lord God, that you have united us with Christ by the power of your Spirit. We thank you that you've united us to one another in bonds of brotherly and sisterly love and affection. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen those bonds as we consider these words. Speak, Lord God, for we, your servants, are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know who this man is? This is legendary game show host Chuck Woolery. Now today, he's probably most famous for selling gold, aging cream, and walk-in bathtubs on Fox News. But from 1983 to 1994, he hosted a syndicated game show called Love Connection. For an amazing 2,120 episodes, Chuck helped men with mullets (laughs) find true love with women in shoulder pads. Through, those are impressive shoulder pads, were they not? That actually looks like Dick Butkus up there. <laughs> Through a series of funny, awkward, often disastrous blind dates. Love Connection was goofy. Love Connection was cringeworthy. But Love Connection was ultimately endearing. The show lasted for 11 years because we were rooting for these people. We wanted them to find true love. We wanted them to live happily ever after. We wanted them to have little mullet-headed sons (laughs) and shoulder-padded daughters. I think we all want someone to love. I think that's why we read romance novels. That's why we watch rom-coms. That's why we sing love songs. That's why we write love notes. That's why people my age used to give people mixtapes. Raise your hand if you know what a mixtape is, okay? I think it's pretty generational. But I will say this, that if Shakespeare were alive in the 1980s, that Romeo would have given Juliet a mixtape. Though we're a bit more cynical about love than we used to be, I think the Beatles captured the ethos of an entire generation when they sang, All you need is love. Love is all you need. The question is, is that true? Is love all we need? And if so, what kind of love do we need? Is it possible to make a love connection that lasts forever? Not just a date or two or a lifetime, but a thousand lifetimes. Where do we find a love that is high and wide and deep and long? Where do we find a love that serves? Where do we find a love that saves? 
Jesus once said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone would lay down his life for his friends. John, who was the disciple that Jesus loved, Jesus' best friend, put it like this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Maybe the problem is that we've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe we have a hard time making love connections with other people because we don't know what love is. And maybe we don't know what love is because we don't know who God is. Now, we think we do, but, but do we really know? As children, many of us sang enthusiastically, yes, Jesus loves me. But many of us, as we've grown older and perhaps a bit more cynical, have wondered, what's love but a second-hand emotion? How do we loose the grips of cynicism on our hearts? How do we embrace the God who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us? How does the love that we have from God overflow from our hearts and into our neighborhoods and communities so that other people can see the love of God in beautiful, amazing ways? These are some of the questions that we'll be asking about this morning as we turn our attention once again to Jesus' high priestly prayer, a prayer, that Je- a prayer that Jesus prayed with and for his disciples in an upper room the night before he went to the cross to die there for our sins. That Thursday night before Sunday, Easter Sunday, when Jesus would rise again in victory over the grave forever and ever. Now, in the first part of the the prayer, Jesus prayed for the glory of God. Jesus wants us to see and savor and share the glory of God with other people. He wants God himself to take our breath away. He wants us to be amazed by grace. He wants us to glorify him so that we can enjoy him forever and ever. In the second part of the prayer, Jesus showed us who and what is on his prayer list. Who's on his prayer list? Everyone who believes. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be important. You don't even have to be a Presbyterian. I know, shocking. If you are forgiven, if you are loved, If you are trusting in Jesus for your salvation, you're on the list. And Jesus is praying specifically for you each and every day. Well, what's he praying? What's on his list? Unity, endurance, joy, holiness. Jesus wants us to be a little bit weird. He wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. He wants us to be a lot joyful. 
He wants our hearts to sing with joy when we think about the wonders of God's grace. He wants us to finish well, to run this race with endurance, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated, having crossed the finish line at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's what Jesus is praying for you. Today, in the third part of the prayer, Jesus is praying about love. He wants us to have a love connection with God. He wants us to have love connections with the church. And he wants us to have love connections with the world. Verse 26. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the outline. As we walk through these seven verses, learning to pray like Jesus prayed, we'll see that Jesus is praying for us to make three very specific, three very, very important love connections. First, we'll see that Jesus wants us to have a love connection with God. How does that happen? Second, we'll see that Jesus wants us to have a love connection with the church, with other people who also have a love connection with God. And finally, we'll see that he wants us to have a love connection with the world. By the time that we're done, I hope that you will see that this, this love, is really the love that you've been looking for your entire life. Jesus wants us to love God and the church, and our, our unloved, often lost, often hurting world. How do we do that? How does that happen? Well, let's take a closer look. The first big idea is that Jesus wants us to have a love connection with God. Verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Wow. (laughs) Okay, there is a lot in those verses, and we can unpack many, many things about the mysteries of the Trinity and the mysteries of our union with Christ and grace and faith, but I want us to focus on one simple little phrase. In fact, two words from those verses. In verse 23, Jesus says, You, God the Father, loved them even as you have loved me. Two words, even as. Jesus says that because the gospel is true, because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, because we are united to him by faith, then God the Father loves us even as he loves the Son. 
even ask. Now, that implies two very important things about the love connection that God wants us to have with him. When we trust in Jesus for our salvation, when we repent and believe the gospel, we experience the same measure of the Father's love for the Son, and we experience the same manner of love the Father has for the Son. Now, by the measure of of God's love. Here's what I mean. I mean that if God the Father's love for the Son is a 10 out of 10, then God's love for us as his children is a 10 out of 10. And if you're a fan of Spinal Tap, it's an 11 out of 11. It goes all the way up. If you are in Christ, then God the Father loves you even as He loves Jesus. If you were to measure God's love for Jesus on a scale and then measure his love for us on a a scale, it would come to the same amount, the same number. Now, by the manner of God's love, I mean that God the Father loves us in many of the same ways that he loves the Son. He takes care of us. He hears us when when we pray. He is with us always, even to the end of the age, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Many of us who are reading the Bible today together uh, in the chronological Bible read this morning, Psalm 23, even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which Jesus did for us, by the way, when he died on the cross, why do you think that it was dark for three hours in the middle of the day? Even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that God is with us because of Jesus. We will fear no evil, for God is with us. When God sees us, he sees Jesus. He sees adopted sons and daughters of the king. And like any good father, he makes no distinction between his only begotten son, Jesus, and his adopted sons and daughters, the church. Even as he loves us, even as he loves Jesus remarkable the question for you is do you have that kind of love connection with god do you know how much god loves you do you understand that when god sees you he does not see your sin he does not see you clothed in filth and disease and dirt he sees you clothed in the righteousness of jesus He rejoices over us with singing because when he sees us, he sees Jesus. If you haven't known that or experienced that kind of love, let me encourage you to look to Jesus, to see his great love for you. When we sin, God corrects us because he loves us. When we fall, he picks us up because he loves us. When we need guidance and direction, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake because he loves us. And when we pray, he answers because he loves us. To be a Christian is to be someone who is loved even as the Father loves the Son. 
God wants, Jesus is praying for us to have that kind of love connection with God today and tomorrow and every day. Second big idea, Jesus wants us to have a love connection with the church. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Verse 22, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. Jesus is saying that if we want to be whole, we have to be one. One with God and one with one another. So what, is one, what does that oneness look like in the body of Christ? What does that oneness look like in the church? Do we all have to wear the same clothing? Do we all have to root for the same college football team? Do we all have to agree about sort of the, the latest news of the day? You know, are you on Team Johnny or Team Amber or uh, Team Biden or Team Not Biden or this one? Is that what it's about? Do we need to kind of be lockstep where we all agree about the exact same things? Well, maybe, maybe not. I, when I think about oneness in the church and unity in the church, three things come to mind about oneness in the church. In the church, I think oneness looks a lot like generosity. In Acts chapter 4, we read this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Do you hear that oneness language there? They were one heart and one soul. How did they express their oneness? And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had need. Amazing. I want to tell you about a phone call that I had this week and I'll make it as general as possible because the person wished to be anonymous. I had a phone call from a man uh, from the church who said, Pastor, I need your help. And I thought, okay, what, what's the problem? That's sort of my default thing. What's the problem? What did you do? What was done to you? How can I fix it? It wasn't that kind of problem. It was a beautiful problem. He said, Pastor, the Lord's been blessing me. And this year, for some reason, I made more than I've ever made and I want to be generous to someone. So would you help me find someone in the church that I can bless? And I was blown away by this. I, I, feel, like, I feel like I'm talking to an angel from God who is saying, and, and I believe me, I've talked to the other guy a few times, the devil, he works for my mortgage company. But uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's another thing. I could not believe the radical generosity of someone who says, I want to change someone's life. I want to bless someone beyond measure. That's oneness. That's a person who's saying, if someone in the church is hurting, 
and, and, and is struggling and is low, and I have been blessed, and I am on high, then it is my joy to express my solidarity and oneness with that person who has been brought low by blessing them through radical, life-changing generosity. Isn't that amazing? Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. This person is a living answer to Jesus' prayer for oneness. Oneness looks a lot like generosity. Radical. Acts for generosity. In the church, oneness also looks like diversity. Oneness looks like ethnic diversity. Oneness looks like economic diversity. Oneness looks like gender diversity. Oneness looks like temperamental uh, diversity. Introverts and extroverts unite. You know, we're together. Even to a degree, it looks like theological diversity. Now, when I say theological diversity, I don't mean, well, I have my truth and you have your truth and there is no truth and, hey, game on, we'll all believe whatever we want to believe. What I mean is the ability to recognize the difference between first-tier, very, very important doctrines of the church and second-tier, maybe not so important issues in the church. Now, when it comes to first-tier theological issues, what we believe about God, what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about sin and salvation and holiness and obedience, the life of faith, we must agree. There is no unity without truth. And that's something that we need to speak in a prophetic way to a culture that has largely abandoned the idea of capital T truth, a truth that can be known by all people without distinction. That's side one. But I think it's also important to recognize that there are many second-tier, second-level theological issues. Who do we baptize? And when do we baptize them? And how do we baptize them? And what is Paul talking about exactly in Romans 7? And what does he mean exactly in Romans 9? And when is Jesus coming back? And is Jesus coming back today? And is Jesus coming back tomorrow? Or uh, will Jesus come back the day after Pepperdine University wins the national championship in men's college basketball? I hope it's sooner than that because I think that might take forever. So, we disagree about many of these things, of course. We can agree to disagree. Oneness means focusing on what unites us instead of what divides us. Now, I mentioned this last week very briefly, but I'll mention it again on the off chance that you do not remember literally everything that I say. I'm told that, uh, that this is a, a thing that happens. But I think that the church should be a lot like Joseph's coat of many colors. One coat, many colors. And the more colors, the more diversity, the more ethnic diversity and economic diversity and gender diversity and, and uh, personality diversity that we add to the coat of many colors, the more beautiful it becomes. One coat, one church, one body, much diversity many colors. In the church, oneness looks like forgiveness. In the Bible, sin 
brings disunity. Sin brings division and despair and conflict. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were united to God. They were united to one another. Perfect harmony. And then they sinned. And once they sinned, everything fell apart. When they sinned, they became alienated from God. They became alienated from one another. It was a mess. They covered themselves with fig leaves. They blamed one another for the sin in the garden. Adam even had the temerity to blame God for the sin in the garden. He said, this woman that you have made, she ate the apple. If you wouldn't have made her, then this never would have happened. Amazing. How do we come back together again? How do we undo what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden? Forgiveness, grace, resurrection. We look to Jesus and say, there is therefore now no condemnation for me because of Jesus. And therefore, there will be no condemnation from me. We will be merciful We will forgive, not seven times, not even 70 times, seven times, an infinite amount of times, because that's how much God forgives us through Jesus. When Jesus comes again, there will be no more brokenness. There will be no more conflict. There will be no more war. There will be no more divorce. Friendships will never end. The Hebrew word, the one word that really describes all of that, is the word shalom. Shalom means peace. It means wholeness. It means oneness. We are one in Christ. We have shalom in Christ. We experience a love connection with the church, within the church, when we practice generosity, when we celebrate diversity, and when we experience forgiveness. Third big idea, last one. Jesus wants us to have a love connection with the world. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Verse 21, that they may be all be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, so that the world may know that you have sent me. Now, there are many arguments for the existence of God. There are many arguments for the reliability of the Bible. There are many arguments that point to the truth and historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the greatest argument that we have is not an argument at all. The greatest apologetic that we have, the greatest witness that we have to the world is love. God sends us into the world with a message of love. A message of God's love for sinners, for the broken, from the hurting, from those in despair. God sends us out as messengers of love to bring that message to bear in the lives of other people through our love for them so that, in the end, all the world would see Jesus. That's why we sent Reba and Jesse to Tokyo 
We want people to see Jesus. That's why we're sending a team to Uganda this summer. It's why we're sending a team to Mullins, South Carolina. It's why we send teams every month to Waterfront Rescue Mission. It's why we send people to the prisons. It's why we send people to the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed, to homeless shelters and hospitals and clinics, to single moms and single dads. We want the world to see Jesus. Not us. Jesus. It's all about His glory. It's all about His fame and His love and His reputation. Do you want the world to see Jesus? Love God. Love your neighbor. Love the world. In John 13, Jesus said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's love can change your life? Do you believe that God's love can change the world? Jesus believes it. And he believes it so deeply that he prays that for us each and every day. May God reveal himself to us as he prays for us. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for loving us from before the foundation of the earth. We thank you for loving us in spite of us. We thank you for loving us even as you love Jesus. I pray, Lord, that the love that you have for us would not stay contained within us, that we wouldn't hide it under a basket, if you will, but that we would unleash it in the church and in the world so that all may see Jesus. Thank you for loving us. May we love you more, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.